Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you today. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure to welcome you to our program always, and please stay with us. You'll enjoy this program. We continue to look into the book of Deuteronomy, and as we call it, the present truth in the book of Deuteronomy. Just before we continue, I would like to welcome the members of our panel today. And I would like to start with Helen, because we miss <laughs> Helen. And welcome back, Helen. Thank you so much. Praise God. Yeah, I'm back and look out. <laughs> Looking forward to the study. Thank now, you. would you like to just uh, maybe in just a few words, uh, just uh, tell our listeners how you are and uh, yeah, praise God that you are back with us. How I am. I'm living one day at a time and thoroughly enjoying it. God is blessing amazingly. And I was privileged to be anointed because I was very, very sick. And since that day, um, all the massive headaches have gone and um, I've got the energy back and I'm not nauseous anymore and I'm just loving life and I'm praising God. Absolutely. One day at a time. <laughs> thank you, Helen. I just want to pause one moment to, to thank God for you being back, Helen. Dear Father in heaven, we just uh, pause for a few moments to praise your name and to bring glory to you, Lord, because you are an amazing God. You take care of all our needs. And you know, Lord, when we are sick or when we are struggling in a way or the other, and Lord, thank you for putting your hands, healing hands upon Helen. And uh, we want to give glory to you through this also, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I just want to go to Will. Good to have you with us, Will. Thank you. Again, a privilege, Nick. And Joe, how are you today? Thank you for joining the panel. Uh, thank you, Nick. It's always good to be here, and I look forward to it. Brenton, thank you for joining also. It's very good to be on the panel, and I'm looking forward to the study for today, Nick. I think it will be a good one for all of us. And Lija, thank you for being part of this. Yes, I'm very grateful to be part of the Bible study again. Praise the Lord for that. Ken, it's good to have you with us because you are the one to lead today. Thank you for preparing this Bible study and facilitating today. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. Really happy to be here. And uh, it's good to, to put this together. Oh, absolutely. And Ken, please take us through the study. Well, today, as you mentioned, Nick, we're still continuing our search through the book of Deuteronomy, and we're calling it today Deuteronomy in later writings. But before we get too much into that, I'm just going to ask Joe if she had to just say a prayer for us all and our listeners as well. Thank you, Joe. Father, it is a joy to once again come together to study your word. May our hearts indeed burn within us as we open your word. Be our instructor today as we continue our study in Deuteronomy. Help us and guide us, encourage us, strengthen us. Be with us now and all those who may be listening in, some maybe for even the first time. Enlighten our minds with eternal, unchanging truths and help us to grasp the lessons that you would teach us today. Let your word shine and draw all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Joe. Well, listeners, it's wonderful to be back again today and uh, to look into this study. The Bible is an amazing book with wonderful lessons interwoven both in the Old and the New Testament. Today, we will focus on the Old Testament writings 
and how from the very beginning in Genesis they impact on our lives today. Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible, often called the book of the law, is referred to many times by prophets and leaders, not only of the Old Testament, but followers of Jesus in the New Testament, including Jesus himself. We have an amazing story told in Second Kings about a, a king called Josiah, who was given an old book found when the people were repairing the temple. What was this book and what impact did it have on Josiah and the people he ruled? Helen, would you like to look into that one for us? I'd love to. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, in reading 1 Kings um, chapter 22, I found it an amazing chapter. You know, if you go through the biblical lists of kings, it is very rare to find one who obeyed God completely. And Josiah, he was such a person, and yet he was only eight years old when he began to reign. You know, that, that's pretty young when you think about it, you know. It's, but that alone straight off shows me that no one is ever too young to take God seriously and obey him. And God can use you regardless of your age. And I would say that includes the old and the young. So for 18 years, Josiah reigned obediently. And then when he was 26, he began some reforms and um, they were based on God's law. Now, it was interesting because he actually organized the temple's uh, restoration where they found the book of Deuteronomy, the book of the law, and uh, in the in the Lord's temple. And it caused him deep, deep concern. Josiah brought about drastic changes to bring the kingdom in line with God's commandments. That was a big step, and he was still young. You know, he just, just one reading of that book and, and of the Lord's law and he changed the course of a nation. You know, the word of God, I believe, is a lesson for us. It should cause us, like Josiah, to take action immediately to reform our lives and bring them into harmony with God's will. And Deuteronomy abounds in assurances of God's willingness to save to the uttermost those who place their trust fully in him. And I believe that's exactly what Josiah did. I was reading a note just yesterday and it said that when Christ came, he came to remove the rubbish which had obscured the, the luster of the people. He placed them as precious gems in a new setting. And um, I love that statement when I read it because for me, that's what, what Josiah was. He was a gem and God had him in this setting and he had chosen him for this work, even the fact that he was so young. Thank you, Helen. Brenton, you have something to say? Yeah, Helen summarised it very well, I feel. Um, there's some interesting things, though, that uh, are said about Josiah, both in Second Kings 22 and also in Second Chronicles 34. It uses identical wording. It says that um, he followed in the footsteps of his father David and he did not turn from the right hand or from the left. There is no other king in the time of the kings that that was ever said about. The reforms that Josiah took part in were the most radical and far-reaching reforms that Judah ever had during its time since the time of David. What's interesting is that at that time you had Jeremiah, you had Zedekiah, you had Huldah, you had at least four prophets who were all prophesying during the time of Josiah. In other words, God, I believe, was trying to get through to his people, as Helen said, 
Judah was in a bad way in, to, to such a degree that when the king sent some of his messengers to Hulda, she said, go back and tell this guy that sent you, and then she named him as the king later on. She said, tell him that God is angry with his people and his wrath is going to be poured out on this place and it is not going to be quenched, that it will not happen during his time. He will be laid to rest before it happens. There's a number of issues there. Number one, um, Helen mentioned his 26th year, but when he was 16, it says that he began to seek the Lord. He began to seek the Lord. Then his reforms followed. If you look at reformation and revival, it always begins individually. And it began with the king seeking the Lord with all his heart before he carried out the reforms. That applies today in 2021. If we want reformation and reformation in our church, in our society, we need to seek the Lord individually as well as collectively, but we need to start on an individual basis. And I believe that the, the reforms that this man carried out, he did follow the Lord with all his heart. And I believe he's a shining example of what God would have us to be in 2021. God would have us to be people who do not turn to the right hand or to the left. We keep going forward. I'm, I'm aware of a statement that was made that goes something like this, that today what the world needs most is men, men who will be true to duty, who will be as true as a needle is pole. That also includes women. That's people. God wants people who are going to be honest, straightforward, straight down the line and follow him fully without deviating one way or the other. A good message and a good um, example for us today. Thank you, Brent. And Leecher, you wanted to add? I was impressed so many times about this story of King Josiah as he asked he required for this book to be read again by himself. And he realized how far the people compromised with the word of God. And he took it seriously as he, yes. as he read in the word of God that it's between life and death, uh, blessing and cursing. And he took it really seriously. And uh, as the Bible said, that he kept his commandments and his testimonies and his status with all his heart and with all his soul. And I think this applies to us in our days again, not to compromise, to be careful not to compromise with the word of God. I often wonder how the inspired rolls or scrolls got misplaced or even hidden in that very temple. It tells me that we could be busy with a thousand other things and lose sight of the central focus of what our worship is all about. It made me think, Ken, there is a story of how Shah Jahan, who was building the Taj Mahal for the love of his life, allowed, uh, you know, in the building uh, rubble and building materials, they actually lost her remains and only discovered it later in the... um, in amongst all the bricks and the mortar and so on, um, and then, of course, restored it to honour. Um, how on earth she, uh, on which the building was focused, got lost for a while amongst the building material? You know, um, we can be busy with a lot of important things, but lose sight of and lose touch with 
the very thing that uh, promotes our worship. Yeah, what struck me looking at the timeline here is that I think the the kingdom split in about roughly 931 BC. And Josiah's around, what is it, about 650? So we're talking about uh, 300 years. In 300 years, although that wasn't how long it took for them to go astray, we know that it happened very early on. But in 300 years, we know that the temple was in disrepair. And I think, uh, Will, you, you mentioned how could they have possibly lost the scrolls? Well, I would say that probably they pillaged the temple for all its um all its uh, value in order to build their temples to the pagan gods. And uh, all that was left was, um, you know, just the, the bare bones of the temple and that the scrolls were left, well, basically forgotten and left there because they were no longer important. It just shows how quickly, how easily the really important things and how quickly true worship was left behind uh, as they pursued and false worship, I guess. And so it's a lesson to us too that these things can happen very quickly and easily if we aren't paying attention and maintaining that relationship with God. Such a common story, Brenton. Yeah, just just quickly, um, thank you, Joe, for touching on that. Samaria and Israel, the northern kingdom, went into captivity in 722 BC. This is about 640 BC. So this is about 80 years or more after Samaria has gone into captivity. Now, what's interesting is if you look at Josiah's reforms, it says he took them as far as Naphtali. Now, if you look at a list of when the Israelites went into the land of Canaan and were allocated their tribal lands, Naphtali is the absolute northern most tribe. So the reforms that Josiah carried out were with the remnant of the people that was left in Israel, as well as Judah. In other words, it was a thorough reform. It was from Beersheba to the top of Naphtali. And really what he was doing, he was doing the work that David did when King David reigned from the top to the bottom. Josiah is doing the same. He's doing this on a spiritual basis. And you know what? I think in 2021, that's the type of reform God is looking for. He's looking for thorough reform. The soul temple, first of all, and from there. So we see that after Josiah had read the book, which was Deuteronomy, he was very worried because he realized that he had not been doing all that God had commanded many years previous even though he was, according to God, doing that which is right in his side. Nick, what sort of things did the king command to be carried out in the land, a complete reformation that spoke of in kings? He spoke with all the elders and priests, and they they promised to keep God's commandments. Would you like to tell us a bit about this? Sure, uh, Ken. I mean, as already was uh, pointed out, quite a few things about this uh, great king of Judah. In uh, the book, Second Kings, you know, chapter 23, it mentions that there was no other king like him before, which is an amazing uh, thing to say, you know. And uh, even though he grew up with not so good, uh, probably, examples around him, he was prompted by God. And we can see the work of the Holy Spirit here in the heart of this young man 
who become the king of Judah. And uh, he carried out definitely all the things which God put on his heart, uh, all the reformations, because, uh, you know, Hilkiah, who, who brought the book, you know, to the king, I mean, found the book in the temple. He was also appointed to carry on some of the reforms in Judah. And Brenton pointed out well that it was not only in Judah, but uh, far and wide, you know, uh, from Judah. This king was called that he did good things like his father, David. You see, it was not mentioned his immediate ancestors, you know, his father or his grandfather or whoever, you know, was not mentioned that, but was mentioned King David. The reason why, because God had a covenant with David and God was still working on that covenant. If you do these things, you will have this, you know, and we, we talk about in previous programs, all the blessings, all the curses and all these things. Now, the reason I want to give a bit of background of this is because sometimes we can fall so deep in uh, apostasy that it's very hard to know where to turn back. What's the checking point, if you like? And here, that's what I, I want to say that, you see, the, the checking point was way back. Now, when we need to do a re- reform and we realize that we need to change some things. We cannot compare with just the surroundings, with what's next us. We need to go right to the original, right back where God wants us to be in first place. Now, I would like everyone to read this chapter 23 because I'm not going to read it now. or to, I'm just alluded at, alluding to a few things. Josiah was so radical that he start to burn all the things which were dedicated to other gods. Not only that, but he killed all those priests who were involved with this false worship. Now, we are not suggesting here, right now in, the, in our time, to go to that extreme or level, but we have to kill all the bad things. You know what I mean uh, when I am saying uh, symbolically, we have to to look back at these things and take a deep cut right where it needs to be that cut, not to start to make some improvements here and there and will still not please God. Because even with these reforms in place, in the chapter 23 of Second Kings, it says that God was still not pleased with Judah and his wrath was not going to be taken from Judah. God says that, that he wants to, to do to Judah what he did to Israel. Why is God saying that? Because we need to draw this lesson to ourselves today. When we look in the surroundings, in our life, in society today, do we see a drift just, just a little bit here and there or a radical apostasy? And because of that, we need to really take, uh, take, um, yeah, solid solid uh, reforms. Well, he certainly was an amazing king, uh, Josiah. And looking over this story, we can see how far God's people had strayed from what he had commanded them to do through Moses. Instead of keeping faithful and keeping the Ten Commandments, they compromised with the surrounding nations and strayed from what Moses had told them. Penel, 
Is it possible Christians today are in a similar position? Do we have any examples of that? Helen? I would say definitely it is possible in the fact that um, if we don't seek the Lord continually and dwell with him throughout the day, invite him into our lives, it's like the old story that they say about the man that had a fire going and it was burning brightly and um, he took one log out of the fire. I think it was a minister that did it, took one log out of the fire and he just sat it on the hearth. And as it was sitting there, it gradually went out. And um, I was talking to my sister the other day. She's missed five months of being in fellowship with the church, partly because of her illness. And I said to her the other day, I said, it's time to remember the fellowship of the saints. It's most important that we we um, not only fellowship with others of the faith, but it's important that we fellowship with God. You know, Proverbs tells us to commit our ways unto the Lord and to seek him and um, not to lean on our own understanding. The only way we can do that is by having fellowship with God through prayer, through Bible study, and through sharing. And if we don't, what happens is what happened to the children of Israel. Other things become more important. Um, our focus is, is taken away. We get distracted. And before we know it, you know, the week's gone and perhaps we haven't even even spent time talking to the Lord. It's so important to keep that relationship up. And I believe that that was, that was a main problem with the children of Israel. And they eventually, of course, went into idolatry, which mm. we can do without even realizing that, you know, we've put something above Christ or above God, and that's become an idol. We need to be very careful. Yeah. Brenton. Yeah, I, Helen has summarized that very well. I, f- I feel one of the modern examples uh, that fits what your question is, Ken, is it possible for Christians today to be in a similar position? If you read the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and you talk about the last day church that is mentioned there, the church of Laodicea, Laodicea's problem is that they don't think there's anything wrong with them. Now, you get an exactly this repeated, and it's in our lesson, in our study, uh, it, where it talks in Jeremiah 7 that um, the people are saying the temple, the temple, the temple of the Lord. In other words, it doesn't matter what we're doing. The temple is there. Everything's okay. They're lulled into a false sense of security. And Jesus says in Revelation 3, you don't realize how I view you. You know, the way we view ourselves sometimes, sometimes we can have a a wrong impression of exactly who we are. The only way we find out who we are is to come to the Lord and say, Lord, please show me my heart, because I don't even know my heart as well as I should know it. And Christ says in Revelation 3, (laughs) this is interesting because I preached on this last week. Um, I actually said that the most important part of the story of the Laodicea is not their symptoms. It's the fact that Christ is standing at the door of a person's heart and knocking and saying, I want to come in and I want to sup with you. I want to eat with you. I want to fellowship with you. It's the relationship that's important. What was missing here, I believe, is a total, almost a total lack of relationship with God. Going through the motions, 
going through the formalism and all the rest of it, but no heart relationship with the Lord. Is that applicable today? Yes, it's very applicable. I believe that that's what God wants for us. For each of us as a panel and for each listener, God wants to have a personal relationship with you. He's knocking on the door of your heart, but you can choose whether you open the door or not. Brenton, I think that is so, so true and so important. I believe many Christians today, they, they have an outward appearance, but unfortunately, in, inwardly, uh, they're not really tuned into the Lord and they haven't got that really important relationship with Jesus, which uh, is the core of real Christianity. In Deuteronomy, it makes it very clear that the law and the covenant were central not only to Israel's relationship with God, but to the nation as the chosen people of God. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 14, we come across an interesting verse. What does this say? And is there anywhere else we find the same words? Joe, would you like to run this one past us? Yes. uh, If we look at Deuteronomy 10 and we start in verse 12, I think it brings us, it gives us some uh, focus here. It says, and now Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? But to fear the Lord, your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, in verse 14, it says, indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord, your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all people, as it is this day. Okay, so it's telling us that we're. this is what the Lord requires, is to fear him, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him with all our hearts, with all our souls, to keep the commandments and his statutes for our own good. Now, most people would say this is a pretty comprehensive injunction. Um for the Israelites, but might I add that this is also central to our relationship with God. Uh, this, these studies we've been studying the present truth, the present truth means relevant truth in Deuteronomy. This is just as relevant today as it ever was. Um, when we, when some people hear the words keeping the commandments of God, their heckles rise and we, we know some people like that. And yet the Lord is a template of how to live how to worship God in a way that is pleasing to him and how to treat our fellow man or woman. And we have discussed this at length in previous discussions and it's been alluded to by, I think, Brenton. This is not new. Now, it goes on to say that what God is like, it says in verse 18, that or 17, for the Lord your God, we're looking at this portion of scripture, Shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, loves the stranger, giving food and clothing. Therefore, you are to love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So we've got God's injunction to us, you know, what what we need to do, how to serve him, what does he require of us. And then in 16, it tells us this is what God is like. And, and we have been in the, looked at these passages in the past. But right in the middle there, in verse 14, it says that he uses the phrase heaven of heavens. Now, we know this has appeared a number of times in Scripture. And to me, it implies that 
you know, this is just the way humans are trying to put God's majesty and greatness into human terms. And so it doesn't just imply one constellation or another or one galaxy or, uh, you know, all the way up north or south. It's all points of the compass for eternity, both up and down. And so the heaven of heavens, as I understand it, is all of the universe, the entire cosmos, all things seen and unseen are there because of him and let every creature bow and be before him and, and worship his majesty and holiness. Now, words cannot capture God or contain him and because um, we're trying to express in human terms inexpressible things that are beyond our understanding or even our imagination. Now, we know that Solomon said once, the heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you. Mm. How much less this temple I have built so great is our God, entirely worthy of our worship and adoration. And I guess this is what Moses is trying to impress God's people both then and today. We are chosen to be his treasure, and with that come choices. Do we want to be a part of that treasure or not? Do we want to separate ourselves from God and give ourselves over to serve another? And these were questions that Israel had to answer for themselves. The answer, I would say, is most assuredly not. No, we want to serve God and be his treasured possession through whom he may bring salvation to others. Yes. Does that sound a bit heavy? What a privilege. Um, and someone has once said that all his biddings are enablings. So anyone, I would say, I would finish actually a comment with Second Timothy. It says, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Uh, thank you, Joe. That was very good. It, uh, there's no doubt about it that our God is an amazing God in the universe. I don't think any of us can begin to understand how vast that is. It's just endless. Helen, would you like to tell us a little bit more about this? Well, when I look at this and I think of the heaven of heavens, it's just amazing. You know, you look at 2 Corinthians 12, 2, and Paul he actually refers to this as the third heaven, God's dwelling place. Mm. You know, I think about that and I think, how big is God really? You know, I, I mean, you look at the universe and you say, wow. You know, you can look at pictures from Hubble and say, wow. I guess I'm showing my age there when I mentioned Hubble. <clears throat> but, you know, it's God is just so incredible. We don't have the words to actually say it. But, you know, if we look at Nehemiah 9, it is especially clear here that the theme of God as the creator and the one who alone should be worshipped, he made everything, even the heaven of heavens with all their hosts. In fact, if we stop and think about that, he made everything. In the beginning, God created. Now, if we meditated on that for a couple of days, I tell you, we would be in so awe of God, you know. I look and we're out the window sometimes in the morning and the dew has landed on the trees and then the sun comes out. It's like they're jewels even through the trees. Every leaf is different. God, you know, how do you talk about the majesty of God? Well, Nehemiah 9.3 says that he read from the book of the law and most likely as in the time of Josiah, the book of Deuteronomy explains why a few verses later the Levites amid their praise and worship of God, used the phrase heaven of heavens. It came directly from Deuteronomy. 
God is the creator, not only of earth, but also of the heaven of heavens. And then to think that the same God went to the cross. Why is worship such an appropriate response to what God has done for us? Even a little child thinks, well, how big is God? But he's small enough to live in my heart, even though his feet are sticking out. Praise God that he is God. Absolutely amazing. Well, it is clear that God has done amazing things for his people, including all his people today, despite our mistakes. Brenton, would you like to read and explain Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23 to 29, and perhaps summarize how it could relate to God's people today? Um, Ken, I can do that. I feel that uh, this is a section that we have touched on in past, past studies, but I will read it. But I'm going to start at verse 20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people and an inheritance as you are this day. Now, the next two verses, I believe, are vital. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land, which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan. But you shall cross over and possess this good land. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord, um, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. I'm jumping down now a bit further, Ken, to where it says, uh, but basically in verse 26, he's almost, um, I don't know what the term is for it, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the people and you will be left few in number among the uh, nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wooden stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Summarizing this, I believe Moses is saying two things. There was a reason why I read verses 20 to 22. The reason is that basically because of Israel's intransigence and rebellion and because Moses, as we would say, lost his temper for a brief period of time with them and said, here now, ye rebels, must we call water from this rock? Instead of honouring God, he and Aaron took upon themselves the responsibility for hitting the rock and allowing water to come out. As a result of all of that, God did not allow Moses to go into the land. What he's telling these people is he said, you are going to go in, I'm going to die here. That's what God has told me. I can't go in, but you can. You have my example. Take note of my example. I can't go in because of my disobedience. You've been disobedient all through. And this is what's going to continue to happen. What is the message today? I believe the message today is that God is still looking for us to have hearts that are soft and tender, that he can touch. He can't, God can't work with rebellious, stubborn hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can, can soften people. And I think today as we work with people, we work in a society where 
Most people do not give any regard to God or what God wants them to do. It's not just within the church, it's outside the church. And I think the message from here is that what God asked them to do back then is just as applicable in 2021. If we are disobedient, we will not inherit the land, the the new Jerusalem, the new earth, just as they did not inherit the literal promised land in, in those particular days. There is a very, very strong lesson there. Learn well the lessons of the past. Learn well from the word of God where people fell and why they fell and apply those lessons to your own lives. Thank you, Brenton. Joe? I, that's a very interesting portion of scripture, Brenton. Um, it makes me think that it his, is, example, Joe, yeah. <laughs> his example of losing his temper and ascribing to himself, you know, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Or It just shows that perhaps his action, even though it was provoked, somehow diminished the greatness of God in the eyes of the Israelites. Mm. And it also points to me the fact, the power of mine and your example, that, you know, you just mentioned that if we are obedient, you know, but if we are disobedient, the power of that example too, that we could lead others away to view God in a, a, you know, diminish God in their eyes um, and not take him seriously because, I'm not taking him seriously. So I guess it's the power of doing good, but also the unfortunate power of not doing good, not doing right, being disobedient, and the power, um, the flow-on effect of that, that leads others to either salvation or in the other direction. Yes, that's so true. Again, we see a God that spells things out for his people in simple terms. Do what is right and receive blessings do wrong and lose the blessings. But God, even after thousands of years, has not given up on us. He is more than willing to take us back if we confess our sins and pray to him for forgiveness. God sure has a lot of patience. Well, as we have already heard, the book of Deuteronomy was rediscovered by King Josiah, and it was during this time that Jeremiah, sometimes called God's warrior, began his long ministry, which lasted over 40 years. So it is no surprise that the influence of the book of Deuteronomy can be seen in his writings. One example is found in Jeremiah 7 and verses 1 to 7. Would you like to look at this and summarize it for us? I think it would be better for us to just read that portion of Scripture, Jeremiah 7 verses 1 to 7. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the house of the Lord, and there proclaim this message. And here comes the message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. You see how they were placing their trust in the temple of the Lord, bricks and stone, and so on, as Brenton has uh, commented about idols. God goes on by saying, if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you would not follow other gods to your own harm, Then I will let you live in this place, 
in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. Jeremiah was a priest, and uh, he had full access to the temple. And Jeremiah's sermon, and this is a sermon, was given at the gate of the temple, and it's often called the temple discourse, uh, Ken. And it condemns the false confidence that the Jews had in their temple and in the externals of their religion. Uh, to the address to all the peoples of Judah suggests that this sermon was delivered on the occasion of a national festival when the temple was crowded with worshippers. You know, I think from this all I get the clarion call for us all not to put our salvation dependence on our connection to a church or a temple, membership affiliation, or even to our baptism or to an experience we had uh, 30 years ago. No temple, no society, no denomination offers us the gold card entrance into God's favor or entry into eternal life. Our hope is in the Lord and in him alone. And so Jeremiah tries to turn the attention and the pride of the Jews away from their false security and their temple to the magnificence of God himself, whom they should worship. Thank you, Will. As we read the Bible, we see time after time that God's people always strayed, no matter what, no matter how many prophets he sent them, no matter all the miracles he did, they always strayed. So much for the writings of the prophets, which consisted of appeals to be faithful, not only faithful, but to uphold their end of the covenant, which they had agreed to at Mount Sinai 40 years before, and was reconfirmed just before they entered the promised land. God now was about to fulfill more of his covenant promises. In other words, his end of the bargain. It is no wonder Moses pleaded with the people before he died, as he had been with them 40 years and knew what they were like. So to sum up, what does the Lord require? Alicia, would you like to answer this one? We read in Micah uh, chapter 6, verse 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So in a rhetorical way, external forms of religion that lack a humble and intentional manifestation of justice and mercy are never acceptable to a just merciful God. So it means true religion is practice. So practical guidelines. Thank you, Leach. I think when we read the Bible, sometimes we can make it very complex and we wonder about it. And But really, when you look at the simpleness of it, really, what God wants us to do is just to walk humbly before him, to seek his face, to pray to him, to praise him, and to deal fairly with so many other people. Micah, who was one of the smaller prophets, only seven chapters, nevertheless had a very important message for God's people in Samaria and Judah. He reminds them of God's blessings they have received, but also tells them of the judgments coming because they have not kept their side of the covenant, including the destruction of Jerusalem and the people taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Brenton, would you like to explain in this story? Daniel chapter 9 probably contains the greatest prayer in the Old Testament. Uh, Between verses 1 and verse 19, you find Daniel now under a new empire, 
Babylon is gone. Medo-Persia has come. It's the first year of Darius's reign as king. Daniel is an old man, probably 80, 85 years of age, and he's mindful of having studied his um, the prophet Jeremiah that Jeremiah had prophesied that Israel would go into captivity, or Judah more specifically, would go into captivity for 70 years. And he is aware that that time is nearly up. And he is now praying. I want to refer to, starting at verse 3, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. I believe Daniel um, Ken is referring specifically to the Deuteronomic laws as found in the book of Deuteronomy. He's referring to the fact that we, and notice he includes himself, intercessory prayer, those of us who have been involved in intercessory prayer prayer realise the importance of including yourself in your supplications to God, that when we're praying for others, we also need to be praying for ourselves, recognising our desperate need and our desperate condition as well. Now, Daniel is noted in the Bible as being one of the most upright and righteous people that ever lived. There's no actual record of of a sin that Daniel committed in the Bible. He was a sinner, but there's no specific record of his sin. Here he is identifying with his people and saying, Lord, do something. Time is nearly up. He had Daniel chapter 8 prior to that to reflect on, and it was worrying him because he did not understand about the desolation of the sanctuary. He did not understand that it was a time prophecy. When you've got sackcloth and ashes and you're fasting, you're mourning very, very deeply. And you know the good thing? I was only reading this morning, Ken, as I was studying and preparing for this Bible study, that God is delighted when we demand of him his promises, when we are obedient and recognize our sinfulness and we recognize that God can do because he's all-powerful, he can do what he said he will do, but he delights in us asking him to fulfill his promise. And Daniel is referring to that there. Today, I believe it's just as applicable. There are so many promises in God's word. One of the best promises in God's word is Philippians 1.6, one of my favourite verses. And I am uh, confident in this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it forward unto the day of salvation. So whilst Daniel was confessing his sin and praying for his people today, God wants us to confess our sins, pray for our church, pray for our people, pray for our listeners, but most of all to recognise that if we trust him, he's promised that if he's begun a good work in us, he can finish that good work. And I think that's wonderful good news. Thank you, Brenton. I think reading the story of Daniel is absolutely amazing. Uh, I'd like to suggest to our listeners, if you haven't read Daniel, it would be a fascinating book to read. We have a young man here who's taken into captivity and uh, has a really difficult time for many years, but he's loyal to God to the very end, even on to death. And then he ends up 
the second in command of the uh, Babylonian Empire. And uh, absolutely an amazing story and certainly uh, worthwhile reading. Again, as I've said earlier on, God's people throughout time, and including our time today, have strayed so far from him. And I often wonder myself the patience of God because he must look down at times and wonder, when are these people ever going to understand? We have this amazing God who loves us with an amazing love that none of us can understand and wants us just to do very simple things. But we all seem to, in many cases, do our own thing and forget him. I believe that many people today believe the Old Testament has little or no use in today's world. They believe that it was written for the people of that time only and has no place in New Testament writings or in today's world. In fact, many Christians only read the New Testament, missing out on wonderful stories, lessons, not to mention the amazing prophecies that tell of the earth's history and the countries that will play major roles just before the return of Jesus. I believe the Old Testament is a treasure trove waiting for people to dig deep into its depths to discover wonderful stories, great leaders, amazing events, and prophecies for our day and the amazing Lord God Jehovah. As we read the New Testament, we see time after time examples of God's people referring back to the Old Testament because it is the foundation for everything that was to follow. So why not give it a go? You will find many things that will surprise you. I'd just like also to add, if you think about it logically today, before any building goes up, the very first thing they do is build a foundation. Without a foundation, no building can stand. And the Bible is exactly the same. The New Testament, which is for our day, was built on the Old Testament, which is for all days. Well, panel, do we have any further comments on today's story or on the end of time as we see Jesus approaching soon? Yeah, um, I guess from this lesson, one thing that I saw was that the people of Israel, they no longer knew how to do what was right. They had gone so far down. The more they sinned, the harder it was to remember what God wanted. And I think the same is true for us today. The longer that we wait to deal with sin, the greater the hold that it has on us. And finally, we forget what it means to do right. I I would admonish people today to think about are we on or are you on the verge of forgetting? Because we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded who God is and who we are, and we are all children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. We are children of the king. We are princes and princesses, and he doesn't just want an outward show. You know, that's what the Pharisees did, and I think you mentioned something the other day which sparked a a, um, a thought in my mind that they had the form of godliness but denied it thereof. And so we need to be very, very careful in our walk with the Lord. And and I just think this lesson, the last couple of weeks have been very important in our lives that we need to take the warnings that we see through these books and, and um, also how Josiah, for example, he stood up even in front of all those people. And you might say, yeah, well, he was a king, he could do that. But God has called many other people who haven't got that position. And if he's calling any of us today, we need to stand up for the right 
and to follow God with all our heart, our mind, and our soul. A take-home message for me today, Ken, is that um, I was really impressed uh, with the attitude of these young people, like the King Josiah, Daniel, and I'm looking forward to see the young people dedicating their lives to the good cause, I mean, to God in this context. Uh, This Bible uh, study was around present truth in the book of Deuteronomy. And, you know, this book was written many, many years ago, thousands of years ago. But there is still truth, which we can apply it today in our life today. And I think it's a great need of reformation in each of our life individually, but in society, in Christendom, to see the young people uh, taking on board and learning from examples like this, as we we talked uh, today, and stand up for it. Because sometimes the elderly people, and I'm not um, judging here anything, but it, it can be embedded in some of the things which they did all their life and not seeing the need of turning around some things. And that's the danger. But the younger people have the enthusiasm and I hope they will have also the wisdom from God to do the right thing. Brenton? Just quickly, um, I don't know whether we're aware the name Josiah means the Lord saves. I believe the Lord saves in 2021 just the same as he did in 640 BC. And um, the take-home message I would like to leave with our listeners is that what God could accomplish through Josiah was possible because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. I believe what's needed today, most necessarily for ourselves and for our listeners, is for God to show us kindly but gently our true condition. Unless we realise our true condition, there is no possibility of reaching the standard that God wants us to reach. That's very true. I think that uh, what Nick has said about young people is uh, is very relevant. You, you think about it, it's young people like Josiah, Daniel, Joseph, that turned things around for whole nations. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm convinced, uh, Nick, panel and listener, that today... It could be youth that leads thousands back to God today. That is so true. I want to leave our listeners with a passage today, and it's in Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. And I think this is very, very important. Surely the Lord God will do nothing unless he revealeth his secrets unto his servants and the prophets. I want to point out that, There's so many things happening in the world today. So many things are happening and people have no idea what's going on. In the Bible, it clearly tells us what is coming. It doesn't give the exact time, but sometimes people believe, well, if there is a God and I'm doing things that are wrong, he'll overlook these things. But as we read the Bible, it clearly makes makes it very clear that there is a judgment day and things and people, we will be judged on all things we have done wrong. We have the wonderful example of Jesus who has taken our sins, but we must revere God and trust God and confess our sins to him. 
I would just say to your listeners that please look into these things. Time is running out, we believe, very quickly. None of us know we have tomorrow. Today is the day to accept God. Don't put it off to next week. I realize everyone's busy today. We're all busy. Since I've retired a few years ago, I've never been busy or I don't know how to find time to go to work. So I understand, listeners, some of you are very busy too, but time is running out. We have an eternity that we have the opportunity to share with God and see all the wonderful, wonderful things that he has done that none of us know as yet. Please take this opportunity to look into it. I'm going to ask Helen to end with the word of prayer. Thank you. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you've done for each and every one of us. Father, we don't have the words to to praise you as we ought, but we are so grateful that you have shown us so many things through the word of God, your word, Lord, through the wonderful love letter that you've given to us. Father, we have studied about Josiah this week, and, Lord, you placed him as a gem right in that setting, and he shone for you. And may we too shine for you, Lord, in our daily walk. And, Father, I'm, I'm reminded of many words in Scripture, and I think of the words in Isaiah when it says there that we need to seek you, we need to be sanctified through you, we need to come before you daily, continually, asking that you will take the evil things away from our hearts, Lord, things that should not be there. We pray, Lord, that we will shine not just outwardly but inwardly as well. Help us to be earnest, Lord, to seek you with all our heart. And may we in sincerity, Lord, our soul hunger cry out after you. Lord, I pray, I pray for the love that you have that we can show out to other people. I thank you, Lord, for your warnings. I thank you for Daniel's prayer. I thank you, Lord, that even before things come to pass, you have warned us. Oh, Father, help us not to leave it too late to ask you to remove the sins from our hearts and our minds and to replace them with the the preciousness of the Holy Spirit to guide and lead us in our everyday association with people and with you. So bless each one, Lord, and bless the study as we go deeper into the word over the next few weeks, Father. We pray earnestly in the loving, majestic name of Jesus. Amen. 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 And thank you, everyone, for your participation today. As Helen uh, mentioned in her prayer, we are going uh, further in our studies. Please join us next time. We are looking at Deuteronomy in the New Testament. That will be a very interesting uh, Bible study. Until then, may God richly bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.